Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that, unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right. Today we are honored to have an organizer of the weekly John Cornyn Houston office at protest and the founder of Houston Democracy Project. Let me tell you, this is a special person who's out there on the grounds doing what we have always spoken about, people power, what people power needs to do. El Senor Neil Aquino, welcome to Politics Done Right. Very good, Egberto. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Well, look, let me tell you, whenever I, I find or I'm, 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 I'm around somebody that does the kind of work that we constantly say we need to do if we are to have a a successful democracy. You are the you are you are the instantiation of what we're looking for. How are you doing today, Neil? I'm doing I'm I'm doing well. It's uh it's it's a it's a great day in Houston today. I'm doing good. But before we get started, uh, I I want to talk about your Houston Democracy Project, but let's put that on hold for one second. Uh, activism requires consistency. That is how it works. Right, if you're yeah. consistent in being active all of the times it's worked, sure. it's how it works. And you have proven that with a project pre-Democracy uh, Houston Democracy Project that showed that. Tell us a little bit about what uh, you and your team have done with the John, with John Cornyn, Senator John Cornyn here in Texas. Well, I appreciate that. Um, the, um, the, the John Cornyn Houston office protest every Tuesday, 1130 to 1, 5300 Memorial Drive. Uh, 1130 to 1, 5300 Memorial Drive. Next week will be week 335. And um, thank you for terming me as an organizer of it because it's a very egalitarian uh, crew. Um, and everyone who shows up is, is an organizer. But we are out there at the corner of Memorial and Dietering um, to make the point. It, 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 it hasn't been really about Senator Cornyn in years, although, although we, you know, we still, still address it. but. To make the point that in addition to voting, we're going to have to physically and non-conventionally show up for the fights ahead over democracy, authoritarianism, and white supremacy. So we show up uh, to make set the example for friends, foes, police, and passers-by to see. And you know we have a social media media following. We have a lot of traffic that um, that goes by on that road. Uh, Memorial Drive super busy. And we want to set the physical example of showing up. And, and so when you talk about consistency, whomever it was who first said that showing up is half the battle, um, it's at least half the battle. That consistency, that showing up, that is so much of the battle. And showing up is an intellectual enterprise. It, it, it takes vision and imagination. I'm, I'm sorry if that sounds that, that sounded self-referential, but for people who show up, it takes vision and imagination to do it. It sounds simple, 
but most folks don't do it or don't don't see the utility or the value of doing it, but there is value to doing it. So um, the court in protest shows up and we are seen. And, and that, in many respects, right there is the point. You know, I think when we talk about consistency and that you guys show up at Cornyn's uh, office every every week for 300 plus week, that is over, I think, five years, maybe more than six, five six, years, six, uh, six years, six years and whatever number of weeks, yeah. right? Six years of showing up to Cornyn's office. And here's what's important. I have watched Cornyn have to moderate his uh, extremely right wing conservatism because he understands that there are people watching him. Sure. I saw that when he did the guns uh, deal. I saw that when he did many other deals. So the fact of the matter is you are effective and you are effectively making change. Before I ask you the last, the, this next question, I want to remind folks of the following. Lobbyists, the people with money who control these politicians, most of the times they believe because they have deep pockets, they can outlast the activists, but they haven't met right. activists like Neil Aquino and the team who goes out there that says activism isn't just for today or tomorrow. Activism is a continuum. And right. that is what I think you guys yeah. have proven. So tell me a little bit more about how were you able uh, with with the with these other people to be consistent for six years? People get bored, people get sick, people get in all right. kinds of forms. Right. But you guys maintained this to let Cornyn know that there is somebody watching you all of the times. Well, there's been a few things. Um, so we've been over six years, and um, we still get new people. So um, we still get new people. Um, we get new regulars. And we get people who show up uh, out of the blue um, or who show up intermittently. Um, so we have a deep bench and we have folks simply who believe in the believe in the mission. A lot of our folks are older, though not exclusively. Um, and it is a significant investment of time. You are in your 60s, 70s. Our oldest regular is 81. And it's a significant investment of time to get to that corner uh, and stand there. Uh, for 90 minutes. So I want to appreciate that. And we don't use the talents of people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s um, as we could. We have a, a guy who just started showing up a year ago. He's 76 and he drives in from from uh, from spring, I think, uh, every, every, every Tuesday. So it's just, it's a dedicated crew. We continue to put word out there every week, every every Monday. I put word out there on social media and different places that we're there. And the crew is dedicated towards coming. And I, a lot of them, I've had a couple of them say it keeps them sane. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with self-interested motives in activism. There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm doing this for myself. There's nothing wrong with saying, um, you know what, I need some, 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 some ways to sustain this activism. There's nothing wrong with any of that. So um, we just have a good crew, a consistent mission, a dedicated time that we're there. And the threats never go away. Um, and when the group started, they probably thought when Trump went or when something happened or we got through one election cycle, what Cornyn would stop. But there's no there's no there's no exit strategy. There's no exit strategy. Well, I mean, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and for those that are listening throughout the country, this is not just the Houston thing. This is a particular example that uh, that we used our senator, Senator Cornyn, 
as the backstop as the as what activism looks like to ensure that these guys do what you want to do wherever you are whether it be ohio or new york or or oklahoma or mississippi or alabama you can start at your local level and to ensure that you are that they have to respect your voice they have to respect your voice because right now the only voices they respect are those who are providing funding for them yeah. in the form of lobbying and you know what else. Now, uh, Neil, you uh, recently decided to take this to another level. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't be more more happy about that. I remember uh, personally, and this isn't a personal issue, when I decided to uh, take politics from just being a hobby to mm-hmm. going ahead and say, I had to create and an, an organized manner to make a difference. Right. And we every activist, when the time comes and they decide that time is there, they can do that. They can say, yeah. I am going to do it. Now, you started a new project that excited me. I saw you at a bowling alley recently when you were telling me quite a bit about that. First of all, tell us about what's the name of this new project that you started? So I've be- begun um, the Houston Democracy Project. And it consists of a website. On the website is a daily blog. And it consists of of my efforts. I've been going to Democratic club meetings, uh, human rights-oriented group meetings, uh, having one-on-one conversations, uh, interviews. This is my uh, second interview uh, this week. And a consistent social media uh, 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 presence. And I want to change the culture of how Houston municipal races are run mayor, controller, city council, Houston Community College Board. I want them all, the incumbents and the challengers. And this is mainly focused on Democrats. Um, I may address the Republicans, but I I can't. The the problem is the Republicans. Um, So I want to make democracy an issue. Uh, I want on on their campaign websites, campaign materials. We need to talk about law enforcement unions. There's no public safety when law enforcement unions support Election deniers, when Abbott and Patrick say we should undo Harris County elections, or when Melier and these folks who are still in court trying to undo the 2022 elections, that's an opportunity for the law enforcement unions to say, that's a bridge too far. We're not doing that. So if you're a Democrat and you're taking the law enforcement endorsement union, I'm talking about the union, I'm not talking about the police, I'm talking about the union that you need to ask them, when will you stop election denial? When will you stop supporting election deniers? And isn't the top public safety issue democracy? I want to reframe democracy as a public safety issue in addition to the other things. I want our candidates to talk about increasing turnout. You cannot have a democracy. You cannot keep us politically or physically safe in an environment of low turnout, special interest funded, law enforcement union driven politics. It isn't working. It's not keeping us safe. And at some point, probably already, it's collaboration with an authoritarian Republican Party. I want to empower rank and file folks, Democrats, democracy advocates. I want to empower uh, uh, us because if we don't act, no one's going to. No one's going to. And I want to be ready for a, a, a mass democracy movement. And I want to just posit the idea that you know, these folks are, are these these folks that we're fighting are serious. Uh, they are authoritarian. They are white supremacist. They are cruel. 
And we, we too often on our side of the aisle treat these elections as nonpartisan, or we're going to discuss some policy. And if only we could get along, there's a mayoral candidate, Gilbert Garcia, not a bad man, but he's talking at his platform about getting along better with the Republicans in Austin. And I'm, I'm not getting along better with my abuser. Um, I'm, I'm fighting my abuser. And so, um, I want to. I want. I want us to see the stakes in these elections. I want to put a corollary to what you said because um, Garcia, I think that is where Garcia Garcia likely failed when he said, "I want to to get uh, more pleasant with those folks in Austin. Those aren't the Republicans you want to get pleasant with. Right. You want to get pleasant with your neighbor. If they happen to be a Republican, just maybe being pleasant with them, you can work with them to to have their vote be in their interest and not against the interests of both of you." So I just wanted to uh, make that uh, make that corollary as my statement. It's it is always the evil politicians that activists ought to be against because they are the ones who have brainwashed many of those who actually vote for them. So, you know, we go to the head. Go ahead. Go ahead. It seems like you want to say something. Right. So let me give you an example of that. Um... And we have an at-large councilman in Houston named Mike Knox. Now, there should be no Republican at-large council people in Houston. Mm-hmm. It's a Democratic right. city. There should be some district Republicans. Right. There should be no. Okay. So Councilman Knox recently testified at some of Senator Betancourt's hearings about some of these democracy-killing bills. And now Councilman Knox is running in the Republican primary for sheriff. Harris County in 2024. So it was a, it was, and so first of all, it was a failure that that Councilman Knox was ever elected. Um, he's not consistent with the views of Houston. And then, secondly, um, when he went and spoke to those hearings, where were our Democrats, whom we elected to city council or anyone, saying in the open hearing, saying in the press release, saying in the press conference, "What are you doing, Councilman Knox?" You're, you're taking away our democracy. You're collaborating with Paul Betancourt and this get along, go along um, uh, attitude is not keeping us physically safe. It's I want to expand on safe. that. I want to expand on that because it's important what you just said, dear uh, Neil, um, that, that they just just getting along. I thought I was very disappointed in our last legislative session completely. I understand clearly that Democrats and progressives are in the distinct minority. I understand that. Right, in the legislature. In the legislature. That doesn't allow, that does not say that you cannot engage the public for the present and for the next time to allow before these bills are passed to let these uh, particular authoritarians, authoritarian Republicans know that there will be a consequence and show them there's going to be a consequence by showing the mass of people that are coming out to support what they know you don't have, the, you, you can't vote to avoid right now. Right. What happened in the legislature? What happened with the Democrats in the legislature? Who should have engaged the public in as much as they didn't have the vote? They had the popular support of the people. So the um, there's a there's an article this week in Texas Monthly, and you can you can access it um, beyond the paywall. You get to um, you can get to it. Um, right. 
by a state rep, an interview with a state representative, John Bryant of Dallas, a Democrat, who'd been in the legislature 30 or 40 years ago, went to Congress, and is now back in the legislature. And he did an interview with Texas Monthly criticizing his colleagues um, in a respectful way, saying that they weren't fighting. And I remember um, at the beginning of the legislative session, if you if you follow these people on social media, and I do it a little bit, you know, so you don't you don't have to, um, they'll get a committee assignment. And they'll be like, thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, um, I'm blanking on the speaker's name at the moment. But thank you. Um, thank you, Mr. Speaker. And for some committee assignment, for some scraps. And that, in an ideal, in an ideal situation, the bipartisan cooperation would work. I'm old enough to remember in the 70s and 80s, where you know you had a Republican president, you would have a Democratic. But we also remember the example. I remember when George Bush was elected president, how the Democrats went easy on him. Well, I'm, I'm going, I'm going beyond. Um, we're getting scraps, and we're facing an authoritarian threat. So they're coming after our democracy, book banning, no action on climate change, bans on public health measures, taking away our right to vote, and they have colonized us. Uh, Houston and Harris County are colonies. They're seeking to overturn our elections. They're seizing our resources. They've seized our schools in Houston. I remember a few years ago when they made us sell our water, made Mayor Turner sell our city water at rates that we didn't want to sell it at. They um, they treat our populations as criminals. If, if you listen to them, you think Harris County and Houston are just overrun with criminals and, and the racial implications of that. And they think that we're not competent to administer ourselves. Um, so we're essentially a colony. And we have our legislators um, in Austin just have an attitude of get what you can get. And it's, it's, so it's a logical proposition. It, it's, I understand. It's a logical, okay, we're in the minority. We ought to get what we can get. But it's not working. It's not keeping us safe. Roe is gone. Most of the Voting Rights Act is gone. Uh, it's hot as hell. We're being told that this crazy weather is 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 climate change uh, a factor, a strong factor. It's not working, and it's not pragmatic. That's the thing. They they this 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 model I've given you of city council elections, which these super high paid consultants. Imagine if activists. Imagine if Black Brown. Asian, progressive women, old, uh, older people, activists were given resources. Um, and these consultants say, hey, run this issueless, uh, uh, nonpartisan, racially cleaved election, uh, uh, kowtowing to the law enforcement unions, whom at the same time are endorsing Abbott and Patrick, and at the same time are endorsing these people. When I go to the, I'm a member of the LGBTQ political caucus and I go to the monthly meetings. And when you go to the meetings, they'll open, the membership will openly say, you know, they want to remove us out of Texas. Uh, they, uh, they want to exterminate us. These are, these are basically just average folks. This isn't, and, and you can't have it both ways. You can't, you, in this type of situation, you can't have it both ways hey, I'm going to get the scraps they give and I'm going to look the other way when they engage in violence. It's not pragmatic. It's not even, 
they, 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 they offer themselves as the voices of moderation. But the act of extremism is looking at the other way at, at the trend that we're on. That's that's the extremism. That, that definitely so. And, and it's something that we must we must ultimately mitigate. And that's why uh, organizations like the one you formed recently, Houston Democracy Project. And look that up, folks. Houston Democracy Project. So if you Google it, you'll get it. And it's at neilaquino.com. It's at neilaquino.com. And if you Google Houston Democracy Project, you'll get it. Let me spell that out. Is it N-E-I-L-A-Q-U-I-N-O.com. Check it out. The website. I mean, that's the only way we are as a as a democracy will remember will contain to exist. We need thousands of Neil Aquinas out there in every municipality in this country. Because again, it's not gonna happen from the top. Why not? Because no. the top is funded by uh groups that are really funded by the plutocracy. Notice how the plutocracy works. They don't fund directly, they fund other groups through mechanisms that hide who they really are. And then that get permeated down. And that is why here at KPFT, here at uh, Politics Done Right, here at uh, Houston Democracy Project, we always say one thing. If you don't support these different projects, what happens is, again, uh, the, the, the people with deep pockets always win. So you want to have a strong community radio station. You want to have strong independent bloggers, strong independent media hosts out there. Because yeah. that, those are the only ones who make a difference in our um, in our society. Right. It always turns out that uh, it, the f- politicians and those who want to ensure that the corporatocracy and, and 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 those institutions that aren't necessarily for you and me, for the public at large, never have a problem being funded because again they're funded by deep pockets. Right. Why is it? that small organizations in this country that are the ones that are really doing good, educating people, making sure their their work, have to fight so hard to get funded. Right, so small individuals and also individual activists. Um, you just gotta ask, and you have to change the public's perception. We think, we think that by donating money to the candidate, we're keeping us safe, um, you know, when when Beto spends I don't know seventy million dollars on digital ads and and where did that money go? Um, where does all the money go? Um, so I think that individual activists need to, which is which is frequently my focus, need to just ask. Um, and folks who, when you say thank you, if I had a buck for every time I've been told thank you for all you do. I'd I'd have two hundred bucks, <laughs> you know. You, you Thank know, you for it, all you do. <laughs> it, it is funny because that is true. Uh, this work and self-serving here, this is hard work. You know, I work sixteen ah. hours a day, uh, most of the time seven days a week, and uh, bring in minimal minimal income from a few articles, a few books, a few right. ads, etc. But the bulk of our money really needs to come from supporters. Uh, the, that is that is the only way we can do it. That is where the that is how the politicians get to get above us. The right. supporters, um, if the supporters, if we could get a lot of supporters that give small dollar contributions to small institutions that are on the ground that are right. out there, I think we'd make a better democracy. What do you think? 
we'd make a better we'd make a better democracy. We would be um, respectful of the time and effort of of the people who who do this, and we would have our own resources to to fight for ourselves because there's a beyond the plutocracy beyond the the lobbying groups you know there are there are many nonprofits and they may there may be good people in them but if uh, they frequently are very tied to elected officials and um um it's frustrating it's frustrating um and well, I, I, I yeah i want to interrupt there because when you talk about nonprofits that is one of the things that gives me the most ire several many many times when i see somebody let, let's look at the red cross that the that the CEO of the Red Cross at one time was making a half a million dollars sure. a year, as you're asking people who are many people who just want to do good and they barely have a, a meal to put on their table, but they say, I need to give this five dollars or I need to give this ten dollars right. for something good. I tell you what, I've had people who've um uh offered contributions to you know what we do here at Politics and Right. And I've said, I, I remember this particular woman who I think she was uh, in her 70s or 80s and she loved what we were doing. And she said, you know, um, I am on a fixed income, but I like your work. I'm sending you $10. And I immediately said, no, that's, I don't want you funding me. I want you sharing my stuff. Right, I don't right, want you right, funding right, right. me. I want that 40 and 50 year old, that 20 year old, that 25 year old who right. goes to Starbucks and spends $20 and right. to say, well, you know, maybe this week I'm going to, I'm going to give five of that $20 to uh Houston democracy project. Yeah. I'm yeah. going to give five of that $10 to politics done right to help us be able to maintain what we have here. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. it's a double edged sword, Neil. And I wish um, in it for all the good work that we have a lot of, independent journalists, independent activists, not associated with a nonprofit structure that many times operate like a corporation for more right. people to see the value in supporting institutions. I mean, not institutions, but, you know, projects like what you have, what we're doing and what we are suggesting to many others that they do. Right. Let me tell you, uh, you are you are far better off giving money to Alberto or myself than um, giving money to a lot of our local candidates. Um, they'll be fine. Um, they'll be fine. And, and, oft, and also, often many of our local Democratic Council and municipal candidates are indistinguishable from one another. Uh, if, you're, if yours doesn't make it, don't worry. Uh, someone just like them will. Uh, <laughs> um, and there really are not, um, and I, I, you know, it's not it's not increasingly to me is, is although I, I remain progressive uh, increasingly it's not also it's not an ideological battle because we're just fighting for survival right uh, and I think that's part of I, I don't think people I think people on some level know it um but don't want to face up to it um you can't blame them because uh, it's depressing um but we are we're fighting for basically our survival of our freedoms. In Houston, we've lost our Houston independent school, quote unquote independent. It's occupied now. Mm -hmm. So with what was 60 years ago, a Jim Crow city, we lost our school board. We, we no longer have elected school board representatives and the state controls the resources. Last night, they, they announced 600 layoffs, you know, and it, it's even immaterial whether you whether some I have whether someone thinks those layoffs are justified. I don't. But it's immaterial. There's no one to call. 
There's no accountability. The school system is run by Greg Abbott. Massive policy decisions in a, the most diverse city in America are being run, are being made by a school board run by an authoritarian white supremacist. And we are just 60 years past Jim Crow. And there's no reason to be confident that that kind of violent disenfranchisement, and I mean violent in the literal physical sense of it, there's no reason to believe that that literal violent disenfranchisement can't can't come back and you should evaluate the silence of your elected representatives and they may go to a press conference maybe do they consistently show up no do they organize no do they sit and 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 collaborate with the same people who enacted these policies yes do they get a decent return from that participation i don't i don't see it it's so, sad, but again, Neil, um, one of the reasons I wanted you here is not only to discuss your democracy project, but for us to highlight that in order for us to continue doing this kind of uh, work, uh, funding is essential, support is essential from not the corporate structure or from other nonprofits, from but you. For directly from the people, because it's the people we serve and it's the people we own. It's only the people we owe our allegiance to. Neil, um, tell us a little bit more about the Houston Democracy Project. In other words, what would you have liked me to ask you about this project that I didn't? And what would you like our audience to know before we close us out? Well, for one thing, there's a, so there's a daily blog, so there's updated comment, uh, uh, updated uh, material uh, to come back again and again. And within the week, I'm writing a letter, um, I've mostly got it written, to all, each of the Democrats um, running for council mayor, controller, and Houston Community Council Board, um, saying, basically, what will you do? Will you stand up for democracy? Will you use your resources to develop uh, Black, Brown, Asian, progressive uh, 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 talent? And we can't forget the ideological component, um, because there is an ideological component in, 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 in our coalitions. Um, will you pledge... We keep hearing it's about democracy. Mm -hmm. and, and so will you pledge in 2024 to assist the Harris County Democratic ticket? Um, and I'm not saying that supporting the Harris County Democratic ticket in 2024 is the panacea, but we keep hearing it's democracy. Um, Joe Biden talks about democracies. This is a mainstream position. Colin Alred talking, uh, running against Ted Cruz, talking about January 6th. These are mainstream that's the thing. Somehow I've become the party regular and the moderate. And I'm reduced to the point in my mid-50s where I just want free elections, right? If you told me that in my mid-20s, I would have been bummed out. Um, so I'm like, hey, will you just act like a normal functioning participant? Will you help the 2024 ticket? Will you speak to the police union when it singles out our Democratic judges? Um, um, say, saying they're just such terrible people. Um, so I'm going to write this letter, and I'm also going to say, your actions are not pragmatic. Um, uh, how are you going to get Many of these council people are in their 30s or 40s. They're term limited out. What, what future are they going to have? And, that, and, 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 and one of the main special interests, I'll tell you, one of the best special, biggest special interests there are is the self-serving nature of the political class. That's a huge. We 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 think we we correctly think that the special interest is the zillion dollar 
corporation or the um, or whatever the group is. But the self-serving nature of the political class is one of the greatest special interests um, that there is. And that that's something I want to address. And I think if you're a rank and file person, um, I think you have good reason to wonder if these council people and office holders who are so invested in these systems will take a personal or political or career risk for you. Um, my guess is they will not. Neil, yeah. Neil Aquino, owner and founder of Houston Democracy Project. Thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. You're kind to have me and thank, thanks everyone for watching and hope, hope you participate, please. Thank you. Tim Scott would have you believe that anybody in America who complains about racism or all the other isms that hold back uh, people, not necessarily on an individual basis, but in a more systemic, uh, in a more systemic manner, that somehow that is just a, a progressive or democratic imagination. I want you to listen to what he had to say when he decided to run as a Republican candidate, and then we'll take it on the other side. And for those of you who wonder if it's possible for a broken kid and a broken home to rise beyond their circumstances, the answer is yes. And for those of you who wonder if America is a racist country, take a look at how people come together. All of God's people come together. It was only, it was only possible because my grandfather had a stubborn faith. Faith in God, faith in himself, and faith in what America would be. He looked beyond the pain of his present and he saw the promise of his future. But my grandfather said to me, son, you can be bitter or you can be better, but you can't be both. You see, he chose patriotism over pity. He focused on the windshield of his life and not on the rearview mirror. If you just believe in God, work hard, and forget about all the inequities in society, all the drawbacks that you have to fulfill to catch up. If you forget about all of that, things will just be fine. But you know what? Obama responded. Obama thinks differently. I'm not being cynical about Tim Scott individually. I am maybe suggesting that the rhetoric of can't we all get along and the quotes you made about, uh, you know, from my speech in mm -hmm. 2004 about there's a United States of America. That has to be undergirded with an honest accounting of our past and our present. There may come a time where there's somebody in the Republican Party that is more serious about actually addressing some of the deep inequality that still exists in our society that tracks race and is a consequence of our racial history. And, and if that happens, I think that would be fantastic. I, I haven't yet seen it.
Now, what is important for us to realize is that folks like Tim Scott, in other words, a black person uh, pretty much given permission for the status quo, to, because he's made it, to forget all of those who systemically cannot make it. Or that poor person in Appalachia, that poor person in Appalachia who is going and working very hard. He's going into the coal mines and he's happy to have that great job in the coal mine. And he gives that rich overlord a pass because I work very hard and and he pays me. He pays me for my work. And if I work hard enough, I just may be, you just may be nothing. It is systemic. Those people who give the wealthy, who give those who wrong others an opportunity to do so by assuming or by telling other people that, guess what, folks? I made it. I just worked a little bit harder. You can too. You are creating an excuse for the status quo that harms us all. Until we figure that out, understand who is the enemy. Understand that it's just a very select few that's really creating the problems in society. Things would never change. People like Tim Scott, people like that poor person who allows themselves to be used as a pawn of the system, they are more dangerous than the wealthy uh, people who do wrong themselves. They are worse than any treasonous or any traitor could possibly be. Turns out these two red state Democrats have some excellent advice for how Biden should campaign in their states and around the country. The Hunter Biden informant was a Chinese agent. So all everything that was banked on this guy came falling down in the last few days, last few hours, actually. So as it turns out, Republicans hit another donut hole in their attempt to bring Hunter Biden into the fold to damage the president of the United States. Anyhow, folks, I'll, I'll go ahead and get started immediately with the red state issue. Check this out and we'll take it on the other side. There are two red state Democrats that have a message for Biden on how to win or come close in one state and maybe just bring a few others in another. One's a former senator, one's a former congressperson. And you know, these are middle of the road kind of Democrats, not the particular kind of Democrats that we know are there to, to do what we expect them to do, but check out what they say. I think it has a whole lot of merit. And if Biden kind of coalesced towards a message like that, I think maybe um, he could actually affect a, a landslide. Check this out. Donald Trump is still on his way to being the Republican nominee unless some of this message breaks through with the MAGA crowd and with uh, uh, Main Street Republicans who are willing to step up. And so, you know, we've got a long way to go, but I think we're going to know a lot more by the end of the year. 
whomever the Republican nominee is, Tim, don't they need to figure out how they're going to hit Joe Biden? Because I watch day in and day out and don't they kind of need to pick a lane, right? He can't be sleepy Joe who's too old for the job. And at the same time, he's high on cocaine, right? He can't be senile (laughs) and a puppet. And at the same time, running a secret crime family or running over Kevin McCarthy on debt ceiling negotiations. So which is it? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know. They're going to have to pick and something tells me they're not all going to be aligned on that. I think the president, the administration, I think those running for uh, re-election here in Ohio with Senator Brown and and others and Tester and and Manchin, these guys, you got to talk about what has happened. We have the greatest reindustrialization happening in the United States since basically World War II. And we see it right here in Ohio. We see auto plant, electric vehicle plants. We see battery plants. We see natural gas power plants. We see chip manufacturing, all directly connected to the uh, idea that we are going to reindustrialize the United States of America and create good paying jobs. A lot of these jobs are union jobs. The Intel chip manufacturing plant in, just outside of Columbus, Ohio, 7,000 union construction jobs for the next five years, Steph. And then for the next 10 years, it's going to be at least 5,000, hundreds of billions of dollars in investment. Uh, the president needs to take credit for that. It's actually hitting home now. It's not a hypothetical. And let these guys go run around and talk about some of the insanity that they've been talking about, it's not going to resonate. Average people will vote their pocketbook. And if they see these initiatives hitting the ground in their own states, they're going to reward those senators and they're going to reward the administration. Are they seeing it? Heidi, take us to North Dakota, right? Tim just laid out a whole bunch of huge achievements that this administration um, can boast about. But do, do voters know that? How do people in North Dakota feel? What are they saying about President Biden? I think that they're concerned and and they're conservative. And so um, uh, they aren't naturally going to support a Democratic candidate. And so he has a big lift to try and get beyond the D label and get to people to listen to what he's done and what he's accomplished. And it's interesting because even the governor who is running for president, who talks about how, you know, how destructive Biden has been, he's been more than willing to pursue those inflation reductions dollars for clean energy that were only delivered by the Democratic Party. And so when you when you look at where the, the state like North Dakota is, is probably not a good example. The one thing I would add to what Tim just said is, look, we used to run away from the culture wars. We used to say, OK, we want to talk about the economy because we think the economy is always better under Democrats and we do a better job. We have a better argument. Now, all of a sudden, with the Dobbs decision and with a number of the other kind of demographic changes and more acceptance of um, uh, gay and lesbian rights, you're seeing a change in how Democrats are talking about culture as well. And so I think that these two factors are both weighing in favor of the Democratic Party. But we have to acknowledge that Joe Biden has record low approval ratings, and those approval ratings have to get back up if he's going to win re-election. Tim, what are voters in Ohio saying about President Biden? You just walked through a ton of great achievements he's had right there in your state. Yeah, I would say that he, he's not getting and I think Democrats are not getting the the, the kudos um, because, you know, you got to have the campaign. And I think it's got to be an energetic campaign. I don't I, I think most people, honestly, Steph, 
would like two new people to be the nominees for the two parties. I mean, I but just why? think people you, you are ready. You just walked me through all of those extraordinary achievements, right? We we laughed at, at, at President Trump's, infra, you know, 15 different infrastructure weeks. President Biden yeah. got an infrastructure bill turned into law in a bipartisan way. Look, I, I voted for it. I supported it. You know, I pushed that most of my career. So, you know, it is what it is. I think it's going to happen the way it's going to happen. So it's going to probably be Trump-Biden again, if I had to guess. And I think there's a lot of significant initiatives that he that he pushed that are actually doing in the American heartland in Michigan, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, these key states that we need to, to win going down into Georgia. Those states are benefiting significantly from the infrastructure bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, the rescue packages, all the local government funds that these local governments are passing out now for key projects that haven't gotten done for 30 or 40 years. Here's the only thing I would say. This has got to be a robust and vigorous campaign. It needs to be on the ground. It needs to be energetic. It can't be the Rose Garden strategy. And we're gonna you know, we're gonna cut ribbons. It's got to people want to get excited about what the future of America is gonna look like, and the president is very well positioned to articulate that, and and he's got the initiatives behind him. Oh, <laughs> talking. I said earlier you could affect a landslide, and I I could just see the giggles all over. The truth of the matter, I think, if the fever happens to break around the time of the election. If people start to realize that what the Republican Party has been preaching over the last several decades is just bunk again, um, you know, we had a president that talked about infrastructure week, but Biden gets it. We had a president that talked about helping the the poor, giving them the kinds of subsidies they need for uh, getting ahead, a hand up. Uh, Trump never really did it per se. Uh, just maybe it may click. And if it clicks at just the right time, uh, as Tim Ryan says, though, uh, he needs to go out there and vigorously campaign. And I think that'll do the magic. We Absolutely. So that'll do the magic. OK, folks, the next subject that we want to cover is, well, you know, that story, Hunter Biden, that everybody Everybody uh, in the MAGA crowd thought that's going to be the Biden killer. Well, 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 we have some news for you. Check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. Oops. It turns out that that guy that had all this information about Hunter Biden, he is a Chinese agent. You know, earlier today on one of my shows, we had somebody who kept on saying, you know, there are people out there talking about Hunter Biden and they have solid information and and they're going to find them. Well, it turns out that that solid information that they had came from a Chinese, a, a, a guy who was working for the Chinese government and he was completely discredited. And earlier today, we had another congressman, a former Republican congressman who came out and stated that there are forensic to prove that all that information that's been spoken about on Hunter Biden's laptop was nothing more than bunk. But check this out and then we'll take it on the other side. 
Republicans, right? They were going on and on for quite some time about Hunter Biden's whistleblower, this whistleblower who is going to just tell us all the horrible things he had been up to. That whistleblower has just been indicted by the Department of Justice for what? For being an unregistered foreign agent. I want to share with you what House Oversight Chair James Comer said to Newsmax this weekend about this very person, this very important whistleblower. He's very credible, and the people on MSNBC who made fun of me when I said uh, we had an informant that was missing, they should feel like fools right now. Uh, And this is their worst nightmare because, uh, again, this is a credible witness that the FBI flew all the way to Brussels to interview and sent several agents to interview. For facts' sake, their whistleblower has just been indicted by the government. What is going on? So here's what's so interesting about this. I've been in politics. You've been in uh, politics and business for a while. We know that the best political attacks, the most effective political attacks are those that are rooted in facts. Um, and that is what has been uh, absent from this entire yes, debate, from the clip that you just saw and the attacks that we are seeing um, from um, from Jim Jordan and others on the Hill right now. What we have all been focused on today is this letter that David Weiss sent to Lindsey Graham um, today about um, this alleged whistleblower. Stephanie, let me just step back and say I spent two years at the Justice Department. The attorney general once told me that it's not just enough to do uh, it's not just enough to do justice. We have to appear to do justice. And so what does that look like? It means putting in place people and processes to ensure that the rule of law is reinfused into every aspect of the department. That's what happened in this uh, David Weiss investigation of Hunter Biden. Think about this. This is a Trump appointed U.S. attorney. If the shoe were on the other foot, can you imagine Donald Trump keeping in place an Obama appointed U.S. attorney like Barb McQuaid to investigate one of his children? It just wouldn't have happened. So tell me, tell me, what is it going to take for those on the right wing who are betting their lives that there's something nefarious about about Hunter Biden's relationship with the Chinese that that, that implicates his dad into doing favors, etc.? I mean, it's amazing. No evidence, and they're falling completely on their face. But you know what? Don't believe that those who are committed to that particular lie won't try to spin this in some fashion or the other. But the fact remains, it was always bunk. We said it was bunk, and now it has been proven to be bunk. We And now it has proven to be bunk. Folks, I don't know why we do it. Last subject on the last subject that we're going to cover here rather quick is what we are going to call that that outrageous pricing that we have for the new drugs. Check this out. Uh, there's a new drug that came out, right? Well, it's, you know, they've been working on it for a while for Alzheimer's and they want Americans to pay $26,500 per year for this drug. Sanders go, went ahead and he started to raise hell. He says, uh, he raises concerns over outrageous prices of the new Alzheimer drugs. Not only does the high price of Lequimbi threaten Medicare's finances, 
It will also negatively impact seniors on fixed incomes suffering from Alzheimer's who simply cannot afford to pay. Again, we always have that pay for play. Senator Bernie Sanders on Monday reiterated his concerns over the staggering price tag of a new approved uh, Alzheimer's Medicare uh, medication after the Biden administration failed to respond to his letter last month, urging swift executive action to force down the cost. In a new letter to Health and Human Services Secretary Javier uh, uh, Vasera, Sanders wrote that the current $26,500 price for Lequimbe is outrageous and demanded that Biden the Biden administration explain why the cost of this drug cannot be reduced to $8,900, which is the price independent experts believe it should cost based on its effectiveness. Sanders, the chair of the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Health Committee, raised particular alarm over the drug's possible impact on Medicare finances. Shortly after the Food and Drug Administration approved Lequimbe last week, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services announced that Medicare will cover the treatment broadly, a contrast from its decision last year to limit coverage of Adulham, a different high-priced Alzheimer's drug. KFF estimates that if 5% of people with Alzheimer's disease use Lequimbe, also known as lacanemab, Medicare's annual outlays for the IV infusion uh, would be $8.9 billion, a spending increase that would push premiums up for all Medicare recipients. In other words, that $8 billion, $8.9 billion is a transfer of wealth from all of us, including higher premiums to those rich fat cats who said, hey, people get Alzheimer's. We can make a ton of money off of their illness. See why I said we that this type of stuff, medic, medical expenses do not belong in the private sector because since it is something that people want, they need, I'm ill, I want to get cured. We will pay anything for it. They know it and they bilk us for it, even as all of the research that go into all of these devices ultimately has a public component. The researchers were educated many times by public universities. The, the company's investment in, in uh, these drugs many a times are covered by grants and universities. And moreover, even if they do some research themselves, if they lose money, they never lose money. Why? Because all that money that they lose is written off on their taxes, on the profits of other drugs. So it's a lie to you. Whenever you hear they're not going to in, uh, invest, invent new drugs, if, if you don't allow them to uh, overcharge you, it's a lie. But it's a lie that, that's not only known by like myself and many others, it's a lie known by the government, it's a lie known by everybody, it's a bunch of people fixing the cost of these drugs to transfer the wealth, to extract the wealth and give it to a few. We have to stop this. We have to stop this. As Sanders wrote, not only does the high price of Lequimby threaten Medicare finances, it will also negatively impact seniors on fixed incomes suffering from Alzheimer's who simply cannot afford to pay the 20% copay of more than $5,000 a year for this drug. With a median income of about $30,000 a year for seniors and Medicare to purchase, the purchase of this drug would amount to over one-sixth of their income. Just that one drug, not their entire healthcare bill, just that one drug. That is unacceptable, the senator continued. A prescription drug is not effective if a patient who needs that drug cannot afford it. Worse, it's not like that drug is so effective 
that it deserves the price. You know, it, the drug industry is the only people that charge you for lack of performance. In other words, they have a drug that may help somebody live 30 days more, 60 days more on the aggregate. And they feel for that, they are willing to charge the arm and a leg. That is ridiculous. If I have a drug that's going to give me 60 more days on earth, I will give my daughter, my wife, and all my loved ones a big hug and say, I love you guys. You know what? I love you so much that it's time for me to go. And you go ahead and take that income that they would have ripped off from you to the drug companies. Please use that to have a better life. Please use that to soothe the pain of losing me because I would have been lost anyway. Folks, we have to stop it. We have to stop this thievery. We have to stop this thuggish behavior by those who control our healthcare. We have to have healthcare for all. We have to take this country, not take this country back. We have to take this country away from those who have used us, nothing more than slaves, indentured slave, uh, indentured servants, and antiseptic slaves. We have to do better. We can do better. We must elect progressives who actually think about humanity before they think about anything else. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out. Welcome to Politics Done Right. I am your host, Egberto Willis. This is a progressive program that will take the mystery out of politics. This is the program that will encourage you to make sure government becomes we the people. Whether you are liberal, progressive, conservative, or otherwise, you get to hear your point of view. We are an independent media outlet that unlike mainstream media beholden to corporations, we only owe allegiance to you. Remember, you can also send me a tweet at E-G-B-E-R-T-O-W-I-L-L-I-E-S. That is at Egberto Willis. Let us engage. It is politics done right.